welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear stories of someone brave enough to bear it all. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Hello and welcome to the Naked Podcaster. I'm your host, Jen, and today I am with Fujan Zane. How are you? Dr. Fujan, is that how you like to be um, spoken to, Dr. Fujan? And it's fine. It is so nice to meet you and uh, be with you and everyone who's watching us and listening to us. Yeah. You have an amazing website. It's very easy to navigate. There's a lot of great information. Tell me about that. It'll be in our show notes, but tell me all about your website. Um, I have set up the website in a way that uh, people can just come in and get a lot of the uh, material, the audio and the video, the television. I have also a radio. Um, I'm a host of a radio show at uh, KMET 1490 ABC. I also um, talk to authors which uh, come in and talk about life, you know, because I think we're all in life and we all relate to each other and we're all in relationship together. So and we all learn from each other. So that's the beauty of what you're doing and um, bringing people together so we could tell stories and who's, you know, our stories. So the website is, um, has you having access to all of that. And um, also I have uh, recently for about, let's say 10 years, I've created a new model, which is called awareness integration model which I took from everything like that I learned from 30 years of psychotherapy and coaching and personal development of bringing all the cognitive um, world and the emotional and body and mind and brought it together to a very uh, concrete module where somebody could become aware of yourself in different areas of your life and um, in different relationships that you have with the world and including yourself and uh, bringing that and asking really important questions from yourself so you become aware and then in that sense when you see there's something in the past which is still following you and not allowing you to move forward and sabotages you to go through a guided process of healing clearing bringing your inner child back and you know kind of like bringing it integrating it into your system and then intentionally creating a future um, that holds a representation of who you are and what you intend to be so the model kind of handles the present moment it handles the past and handles the future in a very concrete way so Jen I I really call it like going really deep but in a brief time Um, so that's what I'm working on we've been going to universities doing a lot of pilot studies I'm getting astonishing results of minimizing depression and anxiety I mean almost like 67 percent it's awesome Wow. Yeah. And raising self-esteem, raising self-confidence and self-efficacy. We did a, um, we did actually uh, a research in Cal State Long Beach in four classes with 230 students. Um, And just doing my book Life Reset, which has the modules in there. So every week, you know, 13 weeks, we gave the students one module, which would be for them to go and check out their relationship, for example, with their body relationship with their parents, relationship with sexuality, so relationship with drugs, relationship, intimate relationship, any of those relationships. To do that for 13 weeks and no therapy, no hands-on. Um, it was just giving them the modules. They did the work on, on their own. They came back with their journaling. And then we did a pre-test and a post-test. And uh, the depression for that population, which you know college students have the highest mm. level of depression and suicide, came down like 
64%. That was astonishing wow. to be able to do that. So I'm trying to get that to all the universities and colleges and, you know, students and whomever has uh, depression and anxiety because nobody really needs to live in depression and anxiety. There are ways to really get out of it. You have degrees. Tell me about the degrees you have because then I have another question based on that. Sure. I have a doctorate in clinical psychology and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Okay. And then which is amazing. And then you do this whole program that sounds a lot like, well, the program you're talking about is something like I, I do it myself. You, like you said, there's no hands-on, but when you go into it like that, it sounds more or similar to energy work almost. Do you have a crossover with that at all? I've, I'm also a master in Reiki, but ah, in, in the work, yeah, in the work that I've done, that, that I'm offering, it's very much um, therapeutic. I think that no matter what, gen, when we are there, when we're shifting our thoughts, we're shifting our energy. If we're shifting our emotions, we're shifting our energy. When we're focusing on our body and giving it love and understanding, we're shifting our energy. So in that way, absolutely, I could say it's, you know, another layer of energy work that we're bringing. Now, the model can be done by therapists in, in the sessions uh, with their clients, as I do, and I've done a lot of studies on that. But what was interesting is if you took the therapist out of it and the coach out of it, this was a model that people also could use. Now, for people with a lot of abuse in their childhood, I still prefer them to do some part of the deep work with another person in the room so that they can be, they can be free. They can just allow themselves to just be at the hand of another person nurturing them. Uh, but for people who haven't had a lot of, you know, traumatic childhood, but they're kind of like wanting to get to know themselves and, you know, kind of bring all of these different sides of them that might be in duality to bring it into a holistic place. So the name is awareness integration. So it teaches you how to become aware with the mindfulness and meditation that we were talking about. So it has some component of that and it has the integration, which brings all of your different parts together in cohesiveness so that if you're acting, if you're uh, making any type of action towards your life, creating plans, that it's all of you making a decision versus one part of you makes a decision. Another one comes up and sabotages it constantly. I'm sure you've had that. Experience. No, never. Of course not. <laughs> yeah, obviously. I mean, we all do, right? Yeah. That's pretty common. So that's, I love that take. That's very interesting that all of the parts of you, I always call them, you know, my multiple personalities, but it's one personality <laughs> just arguing with itself. Yes. And we do well with the arguing. Sometimes we get very nasty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know when I speak, I talk about, you know, our inner monologue, the things that we say to ourselves and write those down, the worst things we say to themselves. And then if you turn to someone and I ask you to say that same thing to another person, people are horrified. They would never say that. But yet we say it to ourselves all the time. So this is so exciting and fun. I love this. You have, and you have a lot more also. You do something called um, online therapy. Can you go into that a little bit? Absolutely. I started online therapy many years ago. I was one of the first um, therapists uh, that uh, with my co-author, we, uh, I did my dissertation in my um, doctorate program, actually online therapy. And then we wrote a book about online therapy um, in 2015, which it was just coming. Video wasn't even then at, at that point. So it was a lot of chat therapy. 
And um, I started doing this because I'm from Iran and I speak Farsi. And I have, uh, I was in the media a lot and people wanted to connect with me and ask questions and do it not just on radio and television, but to actually have a little bit more meaningful conversations about their life. That's how the whole concept of online coaching and online therapy started with chat, with telephone. And, uh, and then afterward, the video uh, world showed up, which made it so much easier for all of us. So I've been doing that for many, many years, uh, from 2005 until now. And I'm finding it that it's um, just being together this way from anywhere around the world gives us that opportunity to facilitate, uh, be efficient um, in creating the relationship. So I've worked with a lot of people who are in different countries and nationwide, people who are in a little bit more rural areas, which they have no access. Um, so that's been a great venue. Uh, I know that some people still tell me that, Fujan, I want to be in the office and I want to see you. I want to you know, have this type of like the energy that goes between us. And that's what I need. And definitely, you know, for that, for those people, I still have office hours so they can come in. But there's so many people who are really gravitating they don't especially in los angeles they don't have to wait uh, you know three to four hours in traffic to just come and do a 15-minute therapy so it's really helpful we talked about that a little bit in the pre-gaming that we did our conversation and i was like geez if you find somebody that you really connect with i mean reno's only two hundred fifty thousand people so it's not enormous but the one time that we really wanted to find somebody, it was super difficult to find somebody that we connected with in a way that was like, yeah, that's our person. And I would rather have video like this with someone I really connected with than to be in person with somebody. It's like, eh, you know, so I love that as an option. I agree. If I could hug you and be in person, that would be my first, the first thing that I'd want. But yeah, I can't, taking out the traffic and all the other stuff, that would be great. Yeah. And yeah. it's interesting because there's so many venues. Like first I have like doxy.me, which is HIPAA controlled and everything is safe. But there, you know, with technology, sometimes things don't work out. And it's funny because we're in the middle of a session and suddenly there, something goes on with that app or something. And they're like, oh, do you have FaceTime? Oh, do you have WhatsApp? Oh, do you have this? And then suddenly you switch from one to another. So it's almost like the world doesn't we do not allow technology to disrupt us. We'll just go from one, one thing to another and make sure that that space is created. And it, I think it's a blessing. It is. It can be for sure. I mean, it's definitely, uh, I love looking at ways that we're using technology for the greater good because it's not always used that way. I want to finish your website by talking about, you have two radio shows. Um, I have uh, no, I have a television show and a radio show. Okay. Television Apologize. Show is, is in a Farsi. And um, so it's uh, called the Life Program, which uh, with my co-host, we sit down and talk more about life and we make it light. Uh, we talk about very deep issues. People uh, send me uh, through text or WhatsApp or email uh, some questions that they have about relational issues, work issues, whatever it is. And then we bring and make it light and we talk about it like, you know, two friends who are talking about issues of life but I also bring the latest research in there also um, and then the ABC KMET is um, this is a radio show which uh, also we do video 
the same way right now we're doing. And then that goes on podcast and YouTube channel. And um, that I start with a tip of the week. Um, and then I go into uh, latest research uh, in psychology. And usually I try to grasp the research that is related to the topic of my guest. Um, so last Monday, yesterday, we were talking about domestic violence. And it was a book, um, my author, there was an author who wrote about her mother's story, actually, that she had gone through getting beat up by her father and she was growing up through that and you know when her mother was had got dementia she was promised herself that she was going to tell the world about the story and she was uh and she was uh, my guest and so i brought all their latest research that had to do with like traumatic brain injury that comes with domestic violence and all the different types of domestic violence so that's that show which has a, a little bit of me it has a little bit of the research that's out there and uh, you know, just the jewel of humanity that's out there that come in and, you know, we can share their story and the way they're, uh, they're presenting themselves. I love it. Now I want to go back. Let's go back in time. Take me back. You said that you were born in Iran and you speak Farsi fluently. I'm, yeah. I'm pronouncing everything correctly. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Take me back to that. Let's get into your story. Sure. Um, I was born in 1961 um, to, um, to a mother who was very famous in Iran. She was uh, almost like the first um, radio um, and television um, speaks person. She, she had a variety shows. She had two shows per week and she was very well known in the whole country. And uh, they actually put my name, my name Fujan in Farsi means um, like a loud, like opera voice, a beautiful voice. So because her voice was so beautiful, they, they named me as, as, as a representative of her voice. Um, so as you, can, as you can probably guess, someone who's a celebrity, uh, their home life is not you know, is not their priority. Their career is, and she was always out. She was always in different areas. And um, a lot of people who loved her, family members and friends, kept telling her, you know, don't worry, we'll keep Fujan. Fujan will be with us. So I was, you know, a, a child of the whole village almost, <laughs> which had, you know, it had the greatness and it had uh, some um, sadness around it. Um, the, the greatness it was that there were just so much love that was coming from everywhere. It was beauty. But the sad part of it was I was also in, in the hands of the world where there was a lot of perpetrators. So I was sexually abused from the age three, almost to age eight, nine, because at, at that time I finally said no. Like I got the courage to just say no. Um, and at, at three, I think the first time it happened as I tried you know, at a young age to say something, um, I, I think they got embarrassed and, you know, people didn't know what to do with it and they laughed at it and like, no, and they minimized it. So I got the message that, you know, I obviously I can't talk about this or I shouldn't be talking about this and nobody's going to do anything about it. So then that, therefore, it continued by different people, different members of the family or different friends of the family, um, uh, you know, um, so fine. And some of them were in a long term, same person many times. And some of them were just once in a while. Um, there are a lot of vivid memories that came up and I've gone through a lot of therapy just, you know, to heal it. Um, but at age eight or nine, I just said, stop it. And then, but I went into rage. I just was a very angry child. Um, I would write journals and I would really be mad at my mom uh, for not taking care of me for not being there for not 
uh, you know, for allowing all of this to happen. And then um, I was also one of the kids who was in a, a not only magnet school, but uh, like the genius school at, at that time. So I, um, I went um, and I was like 10 years old. Uh, I was eight years old, but I was in 10th grade. It was very, you know, fast forward, but I was in a lot of pressure. So at one point, I just kind of rebelled and I said, screw this. I'm not doing anything. And I, um, I failed four classes. And at that time, my mother got so pissed at me that it was like, that's it. My parents got divorced when I was five and said, you know, I'm going to, um, I'll send you to your dad's house. And I got so pissed that I ran away from home. Mind, I mind you, this is Iran. Nobody runs away. I ran away from home at age 12 um, or like 11 and a half because I got so mad and I was a ninth grade already that I'm, how dare you? You're not listening to me. And I know that she just didn't know how. She just had no idea what to do and had no idea what was going on with me. And I had no idea how to say it. You know, I just was angry saying, you know, everything that I wasn't. And um, so a, a family friend came and said, you know, let's ship her to Arizona. There's this amazing, you know, boarding school. And so I came to Arizona for boarding school at age 12. And I was a 10th grade. Um, then I went to ASU at age 15. Holy cow. Yeah. And it was very, um, I was alone. I was very alone. Um, and I think that I could only rely on just amazing human beings that were around. Um, it was interesting that Jen, being around my own family and friends, I was at a space that I was being abused. Being across the world at age 12, I was never abused again. Oh. And maybe because I knew how to survive and get out of it or you know, read the signs and get myself out of it. But I also think that, you know, I, I connected to people who really just were loving and caring. And I, I remember came, coming to ASU in the first year they had um, closed um, the dormitory and they had oversold the dormitory. So I couldn't. So um, I came in and um, with, an, with a check from my mom to, you know, to go to the banquet. And I came in and... Um, I had to go to a hotel because the dorm just wasn't available. So they're like, well, you're 15. Who's your guardian? I don't have any. Who's taking care of you here? Nobody. So they're like, okay. They gave me the hotel room. So then I went to the bank. I'm like, you know, I need to open a bank because I have this check to cash. Well, who's your guardian? Who's taking care of you? You're not 18. You're not legal. I don't know. You know, so I tell my story. This is my story. Okay. They opened up a bank account and gave me a visa. <laughs> so. Wow. This was in 1976, if you're 15, if you were born in 61. That's a very different time. Yeah. But it's so crazy to me. I want to go back for a minute. Your parents divorced at five. What was your dad like or your dad's influence? And why wasn't he the one taking care of you when your mom was... I understand her lifestyle. I, it's not an excuse, but I understand she wasn't around a lot. But what was your dad doing this whole time? My dad was also an entrepreneur who brought businesses from the world to Iran. And um, he, my mom, actually, Iran had an interesting uh, law that actually young children go to their dad. And my mom actually fought for me in the court to get me from him. And it wasn't a hard fight. 
Um, but I just don't think he was a dad. I think he was an incredible human being. Everyone who knows him as a man, he was an incredible human being. He was awesome. He was loving. He was giving. He was funny. He was a genius in marketing and business. He just wasn't a father. He wasn't, you know, you've heard this probably. Somebody's not a husband or a father material. They're not, that's not their priority. That's not where they, you know, where they kind of surf. And he never was. And I saw that also with, you know, when he got remarried and with my younger brother and sister, he just wasn't like, you know, that, that type of a person who was committed necessarily to a family life. And my mom knew that. My mom knew that he just wasn't. So um, therefore, you know, um, he, you know, he came and visited me, but he, and then he wasn't really a part of my life. He just came and visited me. So he wasn't a person who, and I remember even um, when I went to school to ASU and then revolution happened and uh, around when I was 17, uh, my mom couldn't work anymore in the media because she was a woman and all women had to leave the media because obviously their voice was, you know, sin <laughs> for men to hear. So she lost her job. She couldn't sell anything. Um, so then I was here with no money and going to ASU at that time, you had to have, because you were international students, you had to only, just going to school every semester was about four to $5,000. This is beside like living expenses. So my mom said, you know, I'm sorry, I can't send you any more money. You need to come back to Iran. So the, when I got ready to go back, they closed all universities. They shut down because of the revolution and everything. She says, no, just don't come, stay. So then I started, I got, a, I uh, didn't go to school and I started working three jobs at age 17 um, at the ASU alumni at a dry cleaning and um, I think a, oh, a motel as a receptionist. So I started those three jobs and then I'm, after a couple of years, it's like, you know, let's just move to LA. Um, so I moved to LA from Arizona and uh, from, you know, from Scottsdale and that's it. I mean, the rest is putting myself through school, never got a loan from school. I worked full time. I went to school full time and, you know, then I fell in love with psychology because I went to a therapist and um, the healing was so beautiful to me that I thought this is what I want to do. And I went, put myself through self-progress courses, you know, like Landmark Education, Joni Robbins, side by side with, uh, you know, with psychology world. And, um, you know, learned how to trust people, how to love and take whatever it was. Although my, my mother wasn't necessarily, you know, her, her world wasn't the family world. Um, but she taught me as a woman in a country that women are not looked upon as someone who, who's valuable and how to honor the womanhood in a sense and, and uh, you know, how to move forward, become an achiever and create that. And then she had this immense amount of love, both my mom and dad and, you know, my people who took care of me um, just were there with a lot of love. So I think that's something I've inherited which I, I walk um, the essence, I try, I try to walk the essence of love and give and receive it. And I've noticed when, when I go from this space that it opens up also people's love where they come to me. And so we, we tap, you know, we could tap into somebody's worst possible place or we could tap into somebody's best possible place. And um, 
I think that has that was the concept of survival. Some people tell me, Jen, that I'm, you know, that I'm, oh, you're too naive or too childlike in that lesson and you just want to see the beauty. And I'm like, why not? Like, if I didn't, I would want to kill myself. Like, why would I want to live in a world which I see it as awful and all human beings are bad and, you know, they're out there to do this and this to you. And uh, what's the point? Like, why would I want to live in that world if I made the world in that space, you know, in that stance? So yes, even if it's a good fantasy, guess what? I've lived through this fantasy 50 or eight years and I'm pretty happy. <laughs> I love it. I'm pretty happy too. And I think there is negative in everything and it's so easy to focus on it. It's, it's so easy to be negative or see the worst in a situation or a person or a place or whatever. It takes a little bit of effort at first to start to see the good things about it. I do want to go back and ask you about the revolution. How much did that affect you? What's going on with your residency? Like your, do you have dual citizenship or I guess your citizenship? Um, how much did it affect your parents? Did your mom ever recover to be able to be that? They, cause they both went from being pretty high achievers and making money. And yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I was going to ask how your mom was in the spotlight in Iran as a woman that seemed odd to me. Maybe prior to the revolution, it wasn't odd. And I'm seeing, I'm, I'm knowing things after that. Can you take me through all of that? Sure. Yeah. After, before the revolution, women, we had women in parliament. We had, uh, I mean, I, I think okay. women in parliament now too, but there were a lot more, um, you know, moving toward a westernized uh, culture. And then when the revolution came, especially at the beginning of the revolution, uh, they wanted to make sure that women are not there. They're go back into a hijab and they will hold something. So um, almost all of the women announcers um, and uh, hosts were taken off television and stuff. They've come back now, like after all these 40 years, they're, they're coming back. But at the beginning, they took them. And because of the revolution, all of the um, socioeconomic aspects had changed. And yes, both my parents went from being very wealthy to completely nothing. And, um, and a lot of people in Iran went through that uh, at the beginning. And then they were able to build again. Um, it affected them on, on many layers. It affected me being here. Um, it was very difficult because it, right after the revolution, well, I couldn't go back home and I had no money coming. So it was the start of me becoming completely independent, learning you know, what to do. And obviously, because I wasn't going to college, I was getting minimum wage. So it was learning how to live with minimum wage and built my, you know, the resume up but then the hostage taking happened and so then the Iranians in um in the US became uh, the enemy so we had um you know in the school um and many of my friends also in school in Texas they uh, they were uh, beaten they were stabbed they were um you know uh, paint were uh, thrown at them uh, there were a lot of fights around because of the hostage taking. And uh, so there was a lot of fear, even here. So you couldn't go back to Iran because it was a fear and you could be killed. You, you, in the space that you were, you could also be killed or beaten up and all of that. And again, what I can tell you is a lot of just amazing and loving people um, showed up at that time and supported me, moved me. Um, there were people who would you know, give me, house me and say, you know, you, you stay with us. 
um, until you get some work and you get your money to go get, you know, your apartment. So there were just a, like, when you open your eyes, you'll see all of these amazing people who uh, you're not, nobody's where they are without other people holding them into space of love and moving them to the next space. And I came toward, you know, to see a lot of those people. Um, so that's how the revolution affected me personally in, in those times. And uh, this concept of um, the concept that you have of a woman completely changed. But on the other side is um, having at this point to be able to um, experience all of this, experience the immigration, experiencing child abuse, experiencing neglect, experiencing, you know, um, acculturation to another concept. I do a lot of work with immigrants and who are just coming and going through the first two years of their experience of, you know, acculturation and assimilation to the new country um, and people who are in trauma. And the AI model that I created also works a lot with trauma. So this compassion, because I've experienced that it helps, um, you know, p passing and moving people from one essence to another. And yes, I have a dual citizenship of United States and, and Iran, as long have, as have, have you ever gone back and what's that experience? Cause you moved here when you were 12, that was quite yeah. a while ago. Yeah, especially when my mom was going through dementia, she passed away two years ago. So in these latest years, I try to go like every year to see her um, and, um, it's the, the you know a lot of beautiful people a lot of amazing sites uh, amazing culture that you when you go in and you go among people you just kind of like you know you you get um hugged by this you know so many years of amazing culture that is there and and people but unfortunately um there are a lot of restrictions. There's a lot of brutality um, at this time that we're talking right now. There's a lot of protests and they're killing students and they shut down all internet. So we can't even, you know, contact people there. So it's a, it's a living with fear every day in, in that environment. I'd like to go back because you, being sexually abused, there's neglect in there. There's being passed around, even though you're wonderful about embracing the, parts of it that were wonderful and loving and like people could see someone could see that as a really horrible thing just being passed around from one person to another or family members and you were like I was just surrounded by love which is a great way to look at it but when you think about the neglect of your mom and the sexual abuse let's go back and go through your therapy and healing for that because that's what kind of got you onto this I mean clearly you are doing you're living your life in a way that's helping people go through and process the things that you had to go through and process. So can you take me through your process? Absolutely. And I said, you know, when I was a child, I was very angry. I was yeah. because of that. So although people, you know, I turned back and see what was going on, but even the molestations were not with, were people with people who I actually knew and loved and they loved me. But um, I don't think anybody has an idea of the impact that child abuse has on the person. And um, it has an impact on every level of fiber of your being. You know, it impacted me in being in my body. I had learned not to be in my body. Like when the abusers would come in, I would just leave. Literally, I would leave my body. I would be in some corner of the room. At one point, I think there was a, 
there's an incident where um, I was held like this and the person would be behind me. And I remember getting out of my body, watching from the other side, the, back, the person in the back. So this concept of dissociation was, you know, part of me. So how does that affect me? Anywhere that I was overwhelmed, I wouldn't deal with my emotion. I would just check out. And um, even in sexuality, I wouldn't, I would didn't learn how to be in my body when it was even healthy sexuality. I would not be there. I would just check out. So it was so much of a learning to come back to, to be in my body. And whenever I would come back to my body, this flow of just crying and pain would show up. So it was like learning how to contain myself, how to contain the rage, how to contain the sadness and just stay. And then how to also actually create pleasure with my body. So this was all a process that I had to do in, in uh, therapy. I remember even massage. I would go and if the person would touch me about for massaging me, I would be out of my body not feeling anything. Wow. So I had to actually come back and be in my body when I was getting a massage. Um, although I keep talking about, you know, how much I've worked on trusting people. And, you know, when I come back to it and I see, well, I couldn't get here without the trust. But there were many times that trusting was difficult. You know, I would watch for any sign that anybody wanted to abuse or misabuse. And I would read wrongly sometimes because I was hypervigilant about it. It was very difficult to trust men in relationships. So, you know, obviously I've gone through my own relationship ordeals. Uh, and thank God I'm married with someone who I really love right now. So I've really learned how to, um, you know, choose the right man and, you know, be the right person in inside that relationship to create a love. But it wasn't as easy for all these years. And it was a lot, it was practically two things. One is I wasn't raised in a loving husband and wife relationship with my parents. So I didn't have a role model of that. Plus that my relationship with all men was something that they, um, they abused me, but softly, you know, with always like manipulation of kindness while they were crossing all boundaries. So as a grown up, I was always giving to men and allowing them to cross all boundaries because that was how I was trained. Until I did the day I got it that this is not the case. And um, so I went to the other side of the pendulum, which, you know, for a long time I was hurt and angry and not allowing any man to come close and all of that. And well, that doesn't work. So, so it was, you know, finding my way in who am I and what do I intend to give in, in the relationship and how to read the signs of a healthy person who comes in in a healthy relationship versus all the manipulative ones that I didn't know. Um, so the trust was there, the intimacy issues were there, sexuality issues were there. Um, and each one of them had to be kind of worked through so that I can just heal myself and be in a space that um, I could have a good relationship and I could also help people uh, to move through this space. When did you, on your journey of get, going through your own therapy, when did it occur to you, because you had stopped college. And, and also, I'd kind of like to address, going back, completely changing gears here, like I do, you're in college at like 12? 15. 15. But you're, you are, as a young kid moving up 
the ranks of school, you're getting younger and younger compared to other people in the same grades. What was, was that difficult for you to work through at all? Or was that pretty easy? Because socially, behaviorally, you're one, you're 15, but you're with people a few years older than you. Was that an issue for you at all? I did that since I was, I went to um, school very early and then jumped. So starting high school, I was already with people who were three or four years older than me. Um, and then they continued to college. So I obviously developed uh, and became more mature. And I became more mature also on different levels because my, again, my parents were not there and I had to take care of myself even, even when I was young. Then it was dealing with a lot of these older men um, in the community as, as the abuse went on. So I had to actually develop myself in, in socially in how to relate to them. Um, and then I was also always with people who were three or four years older than me. So it was socially, I had learned to uh, elevate, but internally it just felt like I was faking it until making it because a no. lot of it, I would have to mimic uh, what other people who were grown up, uh, more grown up than me doing, but without the internal place developing yet to have an understanding of what that is. So I felt like I was acting most of my life um, until the day that I got kind of like integrated inside. And I said, I don't have to act. I just can be me. But for many years, it just felt like I was acting. I was mimicking. I was watching and, you know, kind of like delivering what people around me were doing without it really coming from an inside place. And the other side, if I looked at it um, from the positive side, that's what I do also with, with you know, success concepts. I've created this observation skills, which I look at success and look at the things that people do and they do it well. And I observe them and I mimic them and I fake it until I make it. So you can, you know, you can see that also, like it has the pain on one side, but it also can work. The same thing can work with an intentionality of succeeding and moving forward. Because remember, everything we do is almost like a survival skill. So you can utilize these surviving skills also as living skills. The only difference is that as a living skill, I would choose it. As a survivor skills, I didn't choose it. It's just the way of being. And it was a time where I really had to face myself and see that I didn't know how to live because I was always surviving. So even if all world, all level was fine, I would create a drama to go back in survival mode again because that's all I knew. And at one point, I'm like, okay, I'm sick and tired of this creating all these dramas. Why am I these drama queen constantly, you know, making a mess out of something? And I was like, I had no idea. Like, I would be so anxious if everything worked. I had no idea what it meant, you know? And it was like, okay, stop it. You deserve for life to work. You've gotten yourself here. You've practically raised yourself. And you deserve to, like, live and be happy. And... Yes, all of those skills can be utilized when you need them, but you don't have to create a chaos in order to feel alive and that you can, you know, utilize these skills to live. I love it. I'm so glad I went back and remembered to ask you that because there is a point where you're not faking it anymore. It's actually, you've kind of caught up age-wise and your in, internal and external have caught up, but to recognize that and be like, oh, this is actually who I am compared to just fake. I love that. 
So now, my other question, <laughs> before I derailed myself, was you're in, you moved to LA, you stopped going to school because you don't have the money to, clearly. You're working three jobs at 17. You moved to LA, which is not an inexpensive place to live and had to be kind of another different, foreign, compared to where you had been living. And you are going through therapy. At what point did you realize, oh, this is what I want to commit my life to do? And then how did you do it? Because you went out, you went through it without any loans, which is yes, astounding. Yeah. So what I did was I came to LA because there was a Persian community here already, which there wasn't in Arizona. So um, I came to, um, and then I think within the first three weeks that I came, um, I was twenty when I came to LA. Um, I met uh, the the person who I married, my first husband. And um, I met him. He had graduated from um, engineering school in Texas and had uh, come. And he, there was a Persian restaurant in Westwood, which he was sitting looking for jobs and I was sitting looking for jobs. And that's how pretty much we met. And um, so therefore, then we met and then we got married a year later. And he had the green card. So after our marriage, we I got uh, I was able to get the residency. Um, and then so after I got my residency, then the, the going to, I went to CSUN and then I went to private school. So that became cheaper. It was, it was doable. And then it was two of us working. So I worked full time, he worked full time. And then in the evenings I started going to school and doing that. After a while, our marriage, because of all the stuff I told you, I wasn't in my body. I didn't know how to express my love. Um, I would take anything, whatever he said I would take, but I would hold the resentment and I would cry. So I was very, very depressed in that marriage because I didn't have any skills. I had no idea how to work. I would, I, you know, finished my school, finally got my bachelor's, but I had no idea who I was. So then I did the, opened up a flower business and I did like the whole Rodeo, uh, Rodeo, Rodeo Drive and um, Beverly Hilton and opened up this whole thing of like business and it was wonderful. And then our marriage uh, just got really bad and shattered. And um, so that's the first time we actually went to therapy. We went to therapy for couples. And uh, from there, I chose to do individual therapy. And for the first time, the therapist told me, she, he said, it's interesting that the way you do things is you discipline yourself. And the only people I've ever seen this in is like, you, remember, you remind me of this child who I've watched that uh, she would go through something and then she would stand and then talk to herself and discipline herself. Um, she said, she said, this is what I see in you. And then it opened the path door of, yeah, there was nobody ever around to discipline me. And my mother was in there. My father was in there. People were there who would love to me, but they would, their role wasn't to discipline me. So I had learned how to self-discipline in many, many layers. And um, then the conversations about sexuality, you know, sexual abuse showed up and it just, the Pandora's box opened up. And uh, I learned so much about myself and how to be with myself then. And then from there, um, I also saw that I always said, you know, when I'm 30, I want to be married. I want to own a house. I want to own a business. And at age 28, I had all of it and I was miserable. Yeah. And it was like, okay, well, this didn't work. <laughs> That goal setting didn't work. I got everything, but so what? So then I started going to some of these self-progress seminars. One of my friends had gone and said, come on, you took them over. And then I started with those. And then it was just like a blast of the, you know, the therapy and these seminars. It just like, whoa. And I got 
started healing myself and it was just like I found life and it was okay this is what I want to do this is what I want to do I want to you know have people be open to who they are and get healed just get healed like everybody has some sort of a trauma either actual or a perceived trauma and um, if I out of all of this uh, you know have, have the ability to heal and grade this is what I want to do for others so then That's I went incredible. back. Yeah, so I went back to graduate school. Again, I know I, I worked full time. I started going to graduate school in the evening and um, studied. I finished that. I went through all my hours and got my board and got my license and then went back to school for uh, my doctorate program. And by then I had my practice. So I had my practice. I would go through my. And that's how I paid. Like I just paid as I went along without going through loans or anything. And you started that at 28. What happened with the marriage? It dissolved. The, yeah, it dissolved after we were married for about eight years and then we got a divorce. Um, and um, after that, just been, you know, relations until I went through a lot of ups and downs in intimate relationships just to experience who I was. And I thought I had to give. It was funny, Jim. I thought I only had to give love and with love, all would be cured. It wasn't. Uh, relationships will need a lot of uh, skills and love is one of them, but it also is a two-way relationship. So it's not like one person only gives love and the other one only receives, because if that's the case, then it will end up not being. So it's beautiful to give love to people who come and go, but for someone who is there, it has to be a reciprocal. And there's also a lot of skills. Like this isn't just marriage is different, just being in relationship. Uh, when you go and you, you know, the person is completely a partner in every aspect of your life, it takes a lot of maturity. So you know, I always say like marriage is not for kids. It really takes maturity for it to go forward. So for both people, they actually have to be mature in order to do that. Um, and I also got that I trained um, I trained people in my relationship that you don't have to worry. I'll just be the giver all the time. And that type of training ruined my relationships because um, they were receiving, they got the message from me where they didn't have to do something. And then at one point I would get resentful. And then when I would get resentful, they would be shocked. Like, you know, why are you resentful? <laughs> Isn't that the way you said, And you know, I'm applying it. So what's your problem? But, and I had to really see how much, you know, I was attending and creating this type of relationship. So there was a lot of growth in marriage. It was a lot of growth in divorce and separation and bringing it all and seeing how can I shift myself to create something that I wanted. And you're going through this process while you're going through school. So you must have been learning it. That's kind of incredible because you must have been learning the theories and the philosophy and how to do it at the same time that you're really continuing to learn about yourself and work through your own. How did that make things easier or more difficult? I think the awareness of it is easier and because you keep getting triggered by it, you know, you have juice to come in and practice. So that becomes, you know, uh, you don't have to wait for a mess uh, in order to work on it because you're constantly getting these theories and concepts and you come in and try it. Um, it makes it a little bit difficult because you and your mate are not going at the same speed. 
So you're going faster in the speed of getting the knowledge and applying it than the other person is doing this organically. And they're going through the resistance, you know. Sometimes when life brings us lessons, we go through, you know, um, a lot of resistance around it and, you know, fighting with it before we finally accept it. Um, It's different when you're getting educated by it and you're choosing that education and constantly bringing and utilizing it. So I think that that was the difference when you're at, at the, in the field and you're constantly attempting and committed to work on yourself. Yeah, if the other person is not on board at all. Tell me how your relationships continue to progress and when you remarried. I, um, I remarried and then the next one was someone who I did not know at the time, but um, it was a, a recovering alcoholic who was going back and at that point uh, actually relapsing. So we went through a lot of work in, around addiction recovery. So that's, again, a lot of, I've worked with addicts for many years. And this is, again, like I've had my own experience at it. So I've had my brothers who were addicts and, you know, uh, my husband who was an addict. And we, and we went through a lot of being with someone who's going through addiction, the understanding of what is and the struggle they go through and the struggle that a person goes through with them. I remember one time I opened, I was start, came home after work and I wanted to cook and I uh, turned on the oven and the bottom of the oven blew. Like I turned on and blew and obviously, you know, he had drink and put the alcohol inside the oven. And I just went ballistic wow. and serious and like, I don't care what you do with your own body, but now you're putting me and everyone in this community in danger because if, uh, you know, um, so that was another struggle of going through the whole concept, which he became completely sober and he went back to school and he did that, but it really killed off the relationship. So I had to kind of uh, let go of that. And then just going through different types of relationships where I was growing in each one of them, learning who I was, cherishing myself and allowing them to cherish and you know, then I became a therapist and a relational therapist. And I thought, oh, not only I have love, but now I have all the skills so I can change anybody. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sorry. Tell me how that worked out for you. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) I know who to call. The world has a way of, you know, slapping narcissism right out of your world. Like, no. <laughs> and like, hey, Fujian, I'm just having this issue. So I just would like a phone call with you so you can just change me and then we'll be yeah. good. I could just move on. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. So I tried that for a while. Yeah. That no. Didn't <laughs> it didn't work. So, um, you know, I got humbled enough. <laughs> right. Life yeah. has a way of doing that. <laughs> yeah. I got humbled enough that, uh, no, I'm not going to change anybody except me. And um, that I needed to know, you know, who I was. And the, the, the healthier I got, that I would get attracted to a person who would be in the same energy level and, you know, mentality level and emotional level and maturity level. And, um, and the person in that space also would get attracted to me because we would match in those levels. So my focus became just for me to grow as a person and, um, and then met um, someone who's definitely, like I became very 
um, balanced in ma femininity and masculinity. And um, exactly, I, uh, you know, I got married with someone who's definitely a balance of that. Uh, I stopped just being the giver and I gave and I requested and I gave and requested. And I met someone who, no matter how much I give, uh, he doesn't get spoiled, he gives back. And you can see this balance because I came to this balance that it wasn't just about me giving, it was also requesting and allowing them to give me and for them to enjoy giving me and for me to enjoy receiving and vice versa. So it took really for me to be mature, to find the right relationship. I get that. That's mm -hmm. interesting. You said you balance feminine and masculine. I never looked at my own process like that, but probably that kind of was part of it. Even it's hard when you're the giver to receive. Yeah. It's really, really hard. I, I know when people, um, like I'm not, a, I don't like gifts that much, except that I like that you think of me. And if you said, oh, I'm going to send you something, it's like everything I can do for a long time. I just, it made me so uncomfortable to, to not be uncomfortable. And then I hit this point where I was like, I'm so excited you're sending me something. I really deserve it. And I really appreciate you thinking of me. And it was agonizing. So mm -hmm. as a giver myself, I can understand how it is, it is agonizing to have somebody do something for you, to feel like you're not a failure, uh, like you're slacking, <laughs> like you know, you're, you're not doing enough. How difficult was that for you to get over? Or what was the most difficult part? Maybe I'm projecting my own stuff. What was the most difficult part for you to get through? I think it was more valuing myself because I oh. got that when I'm not allowing to receive, um, I'm not valuing myself. And I'm not even valuing them because there is also another, the key, the, um, I'll give you uh, the secret behind it. There's also a lot of power trip in only giving because you mm -hmm. are always the one in control in a way. So I had to let go of that, you know, the essence of control, the essence of um, not, it's almost like you don't want to be vulnerable. So you do all these games around it in order not to be vulnerable. And um, I found power in my vulnerability. I found the value in um, opening my guards as a grown-up. Uh, because when my guards were down as a child, people took advantage. But it was like, I'm not, I'm not a child anymore. I'm a grown-up. I can, I can sense when somebody's taking advantage of me, and I can always bring the guards back up, and I can remove myself. Um, I don't have to be at the mercy of anybody anymore. But be, when I know that someone, you know, is, is safe, then I'm going to open my heart. I'm going to bring down those walls so that I can be vulnerable. I can have value in the other one and then have this exchange to go back and forth between two human beings. Uh, whether it's a gift of sharing or, you know, this is a gift but between you and I. This is a gift of sharing with each other. Uh, and then we give this gift to the world, which is the sharing. You know, some of it can be tangible of, you know, items we give each other. And some of it is just exchanging ideas and who we are in the world is that gift. So coming to that understanding, I think it opened up um, the path to be able to receive and allow others to give me and 
just say thank you truly from the bottom of my heart saying thank you versus you know before it was like i feel guilty and i would feel small and you know you do all these like weird stuff around it versus like thank you it, it's funny even when people used to say oh you're beautiful i'm like no i'm not you know my nose is big or i will come up with something and finally i decided you know Fujon, shut up if somebody says something just say thank you and for the first time i looked at somebody says my god you're beautiful i'm like thank you. And it was like from the bottom of my heart and receiving it. And they would looked at me like, you really got that? I said, I did. It's not that I got it that I'm beautiful. I got it that you think. And that was a gift for me. And it's such a sweetness that it just goes all over your body when you truly receive it from your heart. I agree. Now, I the connection between what you went through and your journey is very clear. Have you been surprised, though, now that we can kind of take it back into your website and what you're doing for people in the online presence, the radio show, the TV show? What are the biggest surprises from it? Or what's what are the biggest continuing gifts from it? Kind of wrap up or tie in your life to what you're giving now. I'm always surprised by the resiliency of humanity and human beings as I see them. Um, I've worked again with a lot of people who are um, addicts. The stuff they put in their body, I'm like, how can your body even take so much? And then yet, as they're working with me and a little bit of brain fog goes away, the light comes from inside suddenly. Their love comes out and the way they are and the minute they get how they've impacted themselves and others, you know, the ability to shift. That's why I chose psychology and, you know, the world of therapy, because it is just amazing what human being can do. You know, I'm always at awe when human being creates like technology and all of this stuff. You sit there and like, wow, this is what human being can do. But there's also this wow of what a human being can be. And I think that's what keeps surprising me from both ends. I get very surprised by the brutality and um, what another human being can do as far as how, uh, you know, uh, brutal they can be to another human being or any being and vice versa, how amazing and loving can they be. And that I think is still sometimes surprises me on both sides, but it's, it's a, uh, you know, we're human being and I'm honored to have the, um, the chance and the privilege uh, when people give me to walk me through their life and the corners of, you know, their essence. It's nothing more beautiful than this. Fushan, thank you so much for sharing and being here today. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. And I appreciate you.